0: Talkspace.com, feeling better, starts with a single message. Support for individual, therapy for me, couples, therapy for us, teens, ages 13 to 17, psychiatry, medication management, Talkspace accepts insurance, rated number one, online therapy, 1 million users, employee stress check report, what's behind the great resignation. Read the results of this year's survey, introducing more flexibility. Learn about how Talkspace has updated their wine sessions for... Uh, to better serve you, mental health checkup. Take a short online test to get answers about your mental health. How TalkSpace works. Brief assessment. Answer a few questions about your preferences. Pick your therapist. Select from a list of recommendations. Start therapy. Begin the journey toward a happier you. Benefits of TalkSpace eliminate commute time and scheduling hassles. Flexible plans to meet your needs and lifestyle. Seamlessly switch therapies at no extra cost. Save money while receiving high-quality care. Ready to get started? Tuckspace offers comprehensive online mental health treatment options to meet all your needs via video messaging or phone. Online therapy, ongoing support from a licensed therapist, couples therapy, relationship-centered therapy that connects you and your partner, teen therapy, special therapy for ages 13 to 17, psychiatry, evaluations, and psych- psychiatric medication management. More than 60,000. 5-star reviews, licensed providers providing a range of specialties to meet your specific needs in areas like depression, relationship anxiety and uh, stress, parenting, LGBTQIA, chronic illness, eating disorders, anger management, childhood abuse, mood disorders, OCD, trauma and grief. Substance abuse, family conflict, and much more. Get Matched Today, Talkspace versus Face to Face Therapy. 80% found the Talkspace to be as effective or more effective than the traditional therapy. 98% found Talkspace to be more convenient than traditional therapy and Talkspace for Business. Talkspace partners with employers, health plans, and schools to make mental health care more available and affordable. Rothy's.com Add comfort to your gift list. Meet Rothy's styles from men's and women's shoes to a wide array of bags. Discover sustainable styles made for all. Better for the planet, Rothy's believes there's a way to do things and one that puts the planet and its people first. From better materials to manufacturing and finally to recycling, Rothy's is committed to closing the gap at every step. Give $20, get $20. Tell a friend about Rothy's and you'll both get $20 off your next purchase. So go ahead, tell a friend. The gift of choice. Take the guesswork out of gifting with a pick that never goes out of style. Stay in the know. Try Rothy's today for better comfortable shoes that are better for the planet. Uh, Here is part two of U.S. President number 39, Jimmy Carter. National Ambition Under Georgia's constitution, Carter was ineligible to run for re-election. Looking toward a potential presidential run, Carter engaged himself in national politics and public appearances. He was named to several Southern planning commissions and was a delegate to the 1972 Democratic National Convention, where the liberal U.S. Senator George McGovern was a likely presidential nominee. Carter tried to ingratiate himself with the conservative and anti-McGovern voters so that the convention would consider him for McGovern, McGovern's running mate on the on a compromise ticket. He endorsed Senator Henry Scoop Jackson in part to distance himself from George Wallace. Carter was still fairly obscure at the time, and his attempt at triangulation failed. The 19th century Democrat ticket was McGovern and Senator Thomas Eagleton. On August 3rd, Carter met with Wallace in Birmingham, Alabama, to discuss preventing the Democratic Party from losing in a landslide during the November elections. After McGovern's loss in November, in nineteen seventy-two, Carter began meeting regularly with his fledgling campaign staff. He had quietly decided to begin putting a presidential bid for nineteen ninety-six together. He tried unsuccessfully to become chairman of the National Governors Association to boost his visibility on David Rockefeller's endorsement. He was named to the tri- trilateral commission in 19- April 1973. The following year, he was named chairman of the Democrat National Committee's congressional as well as gubernatorial campaigns. In 1973, he appeared on the game show What's My Line, where a group of celebrity panelists would try to guess his occupation. None recognized him, and it took several rounds of question and answer before a movie critic, Gene Shalit, incorrectly guessed he was a governor. In May 1976, Carter warned the Democratic Party against politicizing the Watergate scandal, the occurrence of which he attributes to President Richard Nixon, who exercised the isolation from Americans and secrecy in his decision-making. 1976 Presidential Campaign, Democratic Primary. On December 12, 1974, Carter announced his candidacy for President of the United States at National Press Club in Washington, D.C. His speech contained themes of domestic... Inequality, optimism, and change. When Carter entered the Democrat Party presidential, primary, presidential primaries, he was considered to have little chance against nationally better known politicians. His name recognition was 2%. As late as January 26, 1976, Carter was the first choice of only 4% of Democratic voters, according to a Gallup poll. Yet by mid March, 1976, Carter was not only far ahead of the active Contenders for the Democratic presidential domination, he also led President Ford by a few percentage points, according to Shoup. As the Watergate scandal presidential was still fresh in voter's minds, Carter's position was as an outsider distant from Washington, DC became an asset. He promoted government reorganization. Carter published Why Not the Best in June nineteen seventy six to help introduce himself to the American public. Carter became the front runner early on by winning the Iowa Caucuses and the New York Hampshire. In the New Hampshire primary, he used a two-pronged strategy in the South, which most had tacitly conceded to Alabama's George Wallace. Carter ran as a moderate favorite son. When Wallace proved to be a spent force, Carter swept the region. In the North, Carter appealed largely to conservative Christian and rural voters. He had little chance of winning a majority in most states. He won several northern states by (coughs) building... By building the largest single block, Carter's strategy involved reaching a region before another candidate could extend influence there. He had traveled over 50,000 miles, 80,000 kilometers, visited 37 states, and delivered over 200 speeches Before any other candidate entered the race. Initially dismissed as a regional candidate, Carter proved to be the Democrat with the most effective national strategy, and he clinched the nomination. The national news media discovered and promoted Carter as Lawrence Shoup. Noted in his 1980 book, The Carter Presidency and Beyond, what Carter had that his opponent did, opponents did not was the acceptance and support of elite sectors of the mass communications media. It was their favorable coverage of Carter and his campaign that gave him an edge, propelling him rocket-like to the top of the opinion polls. This helped Carter win key primary election victories. enabling him to rise from an obscure public figure to president-elect in a short space of nine months. During his presidential campaign in April nineteen seventy six, Carter responded to an interviewer and said, I have nothing against a community that is trying to maintain the ethnic purity of their neighborhoods. His remark was attended as supportive of open housing laws but specifying opposition to government efforts in to inject black families into a white neighborhood just to create some sort of integration. Carter's State stated his positions during his campaign included public financing of congressional campaigns and support for the creation of a federal consumer protection agency, creating a separate department for education, signing a peace treaty with the Soviet Union against the usage of its nuclear weapon, reducing the defense budget, a tax proposal to a substantial increase toward those who have a, the higher incomes alongside a levy for reduction on taxpayers with lower and middle incomes, making multiple amendments to the Social Security Act, and having a balanced budget by the end of his tenure. 1976 General Election On July 15, 1976, Carter chose Minnesota Senator Walter F. Mondale. As his running mate, he attacked Washington in his speeches and offered a religious salve for the nation's wounds. Carter and Gerald faced off in three televised debates during the 1976 election. The debates were the first presidential debate since 1960. Carter was interviewed, interviewed by Robert Shear of Playboy for the November 1976 issue, which hit the newsstands a couple of weeks before the election. While discussing his religious views of Pride, Carter said, I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. This and his admission in another interview that he didn't mind if people uttered the word fuck led to a media feeding frenzy and critics lamenting the erosion of boundaries between politicians and their private intimate lives. Carter began the race with a sizable lead over Ford, who narrowed the gap during the campaign but lost to Carter in a narrow defeat. On November 2nd, 1976, Carter won the popular vote by 50.1% to 48.0% for Ford. Ever since 297, electoral votes for to Ford's 240, Carter carried fewer states than Ford—23 states to the defeated Ford's 27. Yet Carter won the largest percentage of the popular vote—50.1%—of any non-incumbent since Dwight Eisenhower. Presidency, 1977 to 1981. Carter's tenure was a time of continued inflation and recession, as well as an energy crisis. Among his first acts was the fulfillment of a campaign promises by issuing an exit or declaring unconditional embassies for Vietnam War-era draft evaders. Proclamation 4483, on January 7, 1980, Carter signed Law H.R. 5860, a.k.a. Public Law 96. 96- Dash 185, known as the Chrysler Corporation Loan Guarantee Act of ninety seven, bailing out Chrysler Corporation with $3.5 billion, equivalent to $10.86 billion in 2019 and aid. Carter attempted to calm various conflicts around the world, most usually in the Middle East, and with the signing of the Camp David Accord, giving back the Panama Canal to Panama, and signing the SALT II Nuclear Arms Reduction Treaty with Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev. His final year was marred by the air by the Iran hostage crisis, which contributed to his losing in the 1980 election to Ronald Reagan. Transition on November 2, 1976, Carter conducted his first visit to Washington after being elected, meeting with Director of the Office of Management James Lynn and United States Secretary of Defense Ronald Rums- Donald Rumsfeld. At the Blair House, and holding an afternoon meeting with President Ford at the White House. The following day, Carter conferred with congressional leaders, expressing that his meetings with cabinet members had been very helpful, and saying Ford had requested he seek out his assistance, if he need, if needing anything. On December 3rd, 1906, during uh, news conference, Carter announced his choice of Cyrus R. Vance for United States Secretary of State and Burt Lance as his budget director. On December 9th, Carter was presented... Plans for a reform on housing, transportation, and urban development during a meeting with Transition Advisors at the Blair House on December 13th, Carter's selection was confirmed by the Electoral College on December 20th. Carter announced his choice of Juanita M. Krebs for United States Secretary of Commerce, Griffin Bell for United States Attorney General, and Robert Bergler for United States Secretary of Agriculture. On January 4th, seventy seven, Carter told reporters that he would free himself from pol- potential conflicts of interest. In- by leaving his peanut business in his hands of trustees. On January 6th, Carter requested former governor of Maine Kenneth M. Curtis, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee on January 13th. Carter set up an economic summit meeting for non-communist countries and a call for with foreign leaders from Japan, France, Germany, and Great Britain. The conference was set for April on January 18th. Carter named John F. O'Leary for administrator of the Federal Energy Administration, William Nordhaus, and Lyle E. Gramley from members of in the, on the Council of Economic Advisors, Anthony M. Solomon for Undersecretary of Surgery Treasury for Monetary Affairs, C. Fred Bergsten for Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Monetary Affairs, and Kenneth S. Ackleson for Deputy Secretary of the Treasury. Domestic Policy U.S. Energy Crisis On April 18, 1977, the Carter delivered a televised speech declaring that the U.S. Energy Crisis during the was the moral equivalent of war. He encouraged energy conservation by all USM's installed solar water heating panels on the White House. He wore sweaters to offset during turning down the heat in the White House. On August 4, 1977, Carter signed the Department of Energy Organization Act of 1977, forming the Department of Energy, the first new cabinet position in 11 years. During the signing ceremonies, Carter cited the impending crisis of energy shortages which was causing the necess- necessity of the legislation. At the start of at the start of a 20, September the news conference, under the impression he had not come across well in addressing energy during his prior press session, Carter stated that the House of Representatives had adopted almost all of the energy proposal he had made five months prior and called the compromise a turning point in establishing a comprehensive energy program. The following month, on October 13th, Carter stated he believed in the sensibility to pass the Energy Reform Bill and identify energy gas, the most important domestic issue that he That we will face all while I am in office. On January 12, 1978, during a press conference, Carter said that continued discussion about his energy reform proposal had long. has been long and divisive and arduous as well as hindering to national issues that needed to be addressed with the implementation of the law. In an April 11, the news conference card said its biggest surprise in the nature of disappointment since becoming president was the difficulty Congress had in passing legislation, citing the Energy Reform Bill in particular. I never dreamed a year ago that April would have proposed this matter to the Congress and a year later it still would not be resolved. The Carter Energy Legislation was approved by Congress after much deliberation and modification on October 15, 1978. The measure deregulated the scale of natural gas, dropped a long-standing pricing disparity between intra- and interstate gas, and created tax credits to encourage energy conversation and the use of non-fossil fuels. On March 1, 1979, Carter submitted a standby gasoline rationing plan Per the request of Congress on April 5th, he delivered an address in which he stressed the urgency of energy conservation. During the and April 30th, news Congress, Carter said it appeared that the House Commerce Committee approved the standby gasoline rationing plan and called on Congress to pass the several other standby energy conservation plans he had proposed. On July 15th, 1979, Carter delivered a national televised address in which he identified what he believed to be a crisis of confidence among the American people under the advisement of pollster Pat Cattle, who believed Americans faced the crisis and the confidence from events in the, of the 1960s and 1970s prior to Carter taking office. The address would be cited as Carter's melee speech, memorable for mixed reactions, and his use of rhetoric. The speech's negative reception came from a view that Carter did not state efforts on his own part to address the anti-crisis and was too reliant on it on Americans. EPA Love Canal Superfund In 1978, Carter declared a federal emergency in the neighborhood of Love Canal in the city of Niagara Falls, New York. More than 800 families were evacuated from the neighborhood which was built on top of a toxic waste landfill. The Superfund law was created in response to the situation. Federal disaster money was appropriate to demolish the approximately 500 houses, the 99th Street School, and the 93rd Street School, which were built on top of the dump and to remediate the dump and construct a contemporary era for the hazardous waste. This was the first time that such a process had been undertaken. Carter, lo- Carter acknowledged that some more love causes existed across the country, and that discovering such hazardous dumps was one of the grimmest discoveries of a modern era. Relations with Congress Carter refused to play by the Washington rules, so he missed and. Never returned phone calls on his part. He used verbal insults and had an influence to return to political favors, which contributed to his lack of inability to pass legislation through Congress. During a press conference on February 23, 1977, Carter stated that it was inevitable that he would come into conflict with Congress and added that he had found a growing sense of cooperation with Congress and met in the Passed for congressional members of both parties. Carter developed a bitter feeling following an innocent attempt at having Carter enact the Scraping of several Water Project, which he had requested during his first 100 days in office and received opposition from members of his party. As a rift ensued between the White House and Congress afterward, Carter knew the liberal wing of the Democratic Party was the most ardently against his policies attributed to This to Ted Kennedy wanting the presidency. Carter, thinking he had support from 74 congressmen, issued a hit list of 19 projects that he claimed report peril spending that he claimed would result in a veto on his part if concluded in any legislation. He found some odds with congressional Democrats once more. Speaker of the House of Representatives Tip O'Neill finding it inappropriate for a president to pursue what had traditionally been the role of Congress. Carter was also weakened by signing a bill that contained many of the hit list projects. In a June 23rd night, address to a fundraising dinner for the Democratic National Committee. Carter said, I think it's, a, I think it's a good to point out tonight, too, that we have evolved a good working relationship with the Congress for eight years. We had government bipartisanship. Now we have government bipartisanship. At a July 20th news conference assessing the first six months of his presidency, Carter spoke of his approved understanding of Congress. I have learned to respect the Congress more on an individual basis. I've been favorably impressed at at the high degree of concentrated experience and knowledge that individual members of Congress can bring on a specific subject where they've been the chairman of a subcommittee or committee for many years and have focused their attention on this particular aspect of government life, which I will never be able to do. On May 10, 1979, the House of against giving Carter authority to produce a standby gas rationing plan the following day, Carter delivered remarks on the Oval Office describing himself as shocked and embarrassed for the American government due to the vote and conducting, concluding the majority of, House, of the House members are unwilling to take the responsibility of the political responsibility for dealing with a potential serious threat to our nation. He, further, he furthered that a majority of House members were placing higher importance on local or parochial interests and challenged the lower chamber of Congress with composing their own rationing plan in the next 90 days. Carter's remarks were met with criticism by House Republicans, who accused his comments of, be, of not befitting the formality of a president should have their public remarks. Should have in their public remarks. Others pointed to 106 Democrats voted against the proposal and the bipartisan criticism potentially coming back to haunt him. At the start of a night, July 25, 1979, Newscomer's Carter called on believers in the future of the U.S. and the proposed energy program to speak with Congress as it bore the responsibility to impose its proposals. Amid the energy proposal opposition, the New York Times commented that, as the comments flying up and down Pennsylvania illustrate, there is, a, is also a crisis of confidence between Congress and the present sense of doubt and distress that threatens to undermine the President's legislative program and become an important issue in next year's campaign. Economy Carter's presidency had an economic history of two roughly equal periods, the first two years being a time of continued recovery from the sphere of 1973 recession, which has left fixed investment at its lowest level since the 1970 recession, and unemployment at 9% in the last two years marked by a double-digit inflation, coupled with very high interest rates, oil shortages, and slow economic growth. 1977 saw the creation of millions of new jobs, in part a result of the $30 billion economic Stimulus legislation, like the Public Worst Employment Act of 1997, that your proposed Congress passed, and real median household income growth by 5%. <clears throat> the 1997 energy crisis ended this period of growth, however, and as both inflation and interest rates rose, economic growth, job creation, and consumer confidence declined sharply. The relatively loose monetary policy, adopted by Federal Reserve Board Chairman G. William Miller, had already contributed to somewhat, Higher inflation rising from 5.8% to, in 1976 to 7.7% in 1978. The sudden doubling of crude oil prices by OPEC, the world's leading oil export exporting cartel, forced inflation to double-digit levels averaging 11.3% in 1979 and three, 13.5% in 1980. The sudden shortage of gasoline as the 1979 summer vacation season began exacerbated the problem and would come to symbolize the crisis among the public in general, to the acute shortage originally in the shutdown of the Amarada Hess refining facilities led to a lawsuit against the government that year by the federal government. Deregulation. In 1979, Carter appointed Alfred E. Kahn to lead the Civil Aeronautics Board, CAB. He was part of a push for deregulation on the industry supported by leading economic leading think tanks in Washington, a civil society coalition, Advocating the reform pattern on the coalition earlier developed for the truck and oil, truck and rail reform efforts, the head of the regulatory agency studied leadership the Carter administration, and even, and even some in the airline industry. <coughs> this coalition swiftly gained legislative results in 1978. Carter signed the airline deregulation act into law <coughs> on October 24, 1978. The main purpose of the act was to remove government control over fares, routes, and market entry of new airlines. From commercial aviation, the Civil Aeronautics Board's board's powers of regulation were to be phased out, eventually allowing market forces to determine routes and fares. The Act did not remove or diminish the FAA's regulatory powers over all aspects of airline safety. In 1979, Carter directed the American beer industry by making it illegal to sell malt hops and yeast to American homebrewers for the first time since the effective 1920 beginning of, of the prohibition in the United States. This Carter regulation led to an increase in home brewing over the 1980s and 1990s that, that by the 2000s has developed into a strong craft microbrew culture in the United States with 6,600 six microbreweries, brew pubs, and regional craft breweries in the United States by the end of 2017. Healthcare During his presidential campaign, Carter embraced health care reform akin can't do that. Ted Kennedy sponsored by universal National Health Insurance. Carter's proposal on health care while in office included an April nineteen seventy seven mandatory health care cost proposal and a June nineteen seventy nine proposal of private health insurance coverage. Carter saw the June 9th Senate proposal as a continuation of progress in American health coverage made by President Harry Truman and the latter's proposed access to quality health care being a basic right to Americans of Medicare and Medicaid being introduced under President Lyndon B. Johnson. The, 19th, the April 9th Senate mandatory health care cost proposal was passed in the Senate and later defeated in the House. During 1978, Carter also conducted meetings with Kennedy to, for a prom- compromise health care law that proved uh, unsuccessful Carter would later cite Kennedy's disagreements as having thwarted Carter's efforts to provide a comprehensive health care system for the country. Stay tuned for part three of U.S. President number 39, Jimmy Carter. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and have a good week.